Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This is Ion Veterans Weekend, a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served, presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. There are nearly 20 million, 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the U.S., US. Each week, we focus on their stories. Powered by ConnectingVets.com. This, this is CBS Eye on Veterans. Eye on Veterans. Welcome to another edition of CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now on today's show, we'll feature talk about Evan Williams Bourbon and the military vets who are being honored on labels of special bottles as part of their program called American Made Heroes. But before the booze, we'll start off the show with some veteran news. Now, back in May, when Congress approved the CARES Act, it gave almost $20 billion to the Veterans Health Administration to help fight COVID-19. And as people are losing their jobs and not being able to pay their bills, well, that's definitely a side effect of this pandemic. So $200 million have been allocated to help homeless vets or those at risk of being homeless. And I recently spoke with Dr. Keith Harris, National Director of Clinical Operations at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, about what the VA is doing to help vets either get through homelessness or completely avoid it. The way that the, the money breaks down, we received $300 million of that chunk of CARES money for homeless programs initially. Uh, and that broke down further into about $200 million into um, our Supportive Services for Veteran Families program that's responsible for emergency placements and prevention. Uh, another $88 million of that went to our Grant and Per Diem program that provides transitional residential housing. And about $10 million of that, um, a little more than that, went to our uh, Healthcare for Homeless Veterans that, that provides shorter-term kind of emergency uh, shelter, residential-type placement. Um, and I'd like to say a little more about what we're doing with that money first and then talk to you about the money we, we're looking at in, in FY21. Uh, that money is going towards the uh, immediate emergency response for homeless veterans facing COVID. One of the things I've um, been sharing lately in interviews is that there's there's really... Uh, a legitimate case can be made that there's never been a more dangerous time to be homeless. Two of the primary risk mitigation strategies are staying home and washing your hands, and both of which are effectively impossible when you don't have a home. 
And so we've really been focused on the emergency response, placing people, um, getting people off the streets, out of encampments, out of dangerous congregate shelters where infections spread rapidly and into safe and stable housing. A lot of that takes the form of hotel and motel placements. The other big place we're focusing those that initial $300 million on uh, is on prevention. A lot of people facing eviction, uh, especially with eviction moratoriums starting to um, expire. A lot of people uh, who have been housed perhaps uh, with employment loss, losing that employment and facing eviction. So our, our funding also can assist with rental payments, utility payments, things like that. Uh, looking ahead to FY21, the SSBF program that does that uh, prevention and emergency placement work actually just just very recently uh, secured another $400 million uh, dollars, and the CARES money lasts through the end of FY21. Dr. Harris went on to further explain one of the programs where veterans can receive assistance. It's called Supportive Services for Veterans and Families. We have a few programs and services that I think you'd, you would categorize as prevention, the, the primary, again, being SSBF. That is the one place where, uh, and the way that works, it's a grant program. VA provides funding to local nonprofits who've done this work for many years, who know their communities, they know the veterans in their communities. Um, it's one of the ways we partner and, and extend our reach. Uh, it provides, SSBF is, is the one place that can directly assist people in staying in their housing. We can actually take on and provide rental assistance. We can take on and provide utilities assistance, the kinds of things that will keep people into their housing. You can't do that indefinitely, uh, but we can provide that and keep people in their housing. And then we, we SSVF is linking closely with one of our permanent housing programs called HUD-VASH. It's a partnership with HUD where HUD grants uh, a Section 8 voucher, housing subsidy, Voucher and VA provides case management and supportive services. Well, SSVF is partnering with HUD-VASH so that if SSVF is uh, working with someone who is facing literal homelessness, uh, SSVF can connect them to HUD-VASH and we can move veterans into permanent housing where the rent is covered by that HUD housing subsidy. All right, Doc, let me ask you, we've reported in the past, and this isn't directly related to homelessness, but I know ConnectingVets.com has reported in the past about uh, uh, the additional influx of cash from Congress to be able to help veterans through this COVID era, and one of which was with telehealth. And I know that when we looked at telehealth, uh, they certainly had the resources to provide on their end adequate medical help, you know, via the internet. But on the user end, on that veteran that's experiencing poverty and has a rough go of it and just hit the wall, doesn't have money, uh, he might or she might not have money for a fancy cell phone plan, might not have a great phone, uh, might have had to cut the cord and not even have dang Wi-Fi at their house. So similarly, with this homeless program and all these various programs that are meant to help, are there the actual things that the veterans can use? Is there the money to help them pay these bills? Is there the check that can be written to their utilities to keep the power on? I mean, when it comes down to it, are the brass tacks being delivered in the form of like cell phones and some kind of technology assistance? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a hugely important one for us because, as you noted, a lot of our homeless veterans and those kind of precariously housed uh, they just don't have the funds for the kind of cell phones that a lot of us take for granted, for instance, or the more general digital capabilities that we take for granted. Uh, there's a variety of ways we're trying to get the digital resources into veterans' hands. And we, we do, in fact, have funding for this. One, one of our 
funding request that was granted was $17 million, actually, to purchase um, what are called within our system disposable smartphones. So it's, uh, um, you know, more than a flip phone, less than a full-on brand-new, you know, top-of-the-line iPhone, but something that, that gives you uh, capabilities for both video and, and audio. So one of the things we're doing is working on the contract to, to procure those phones and then working with case managers to get them into the hands of veterans. Uh, it's incredibly important for veterans to be able to access actual literal telehealth services, so services with their VA provider, but also accessing um, services through throughout the, the city uh, and also contacting prospective employers, uh, prospective landlords if they're staying in temporary housing. So we think it's incredibly important. We do have the funding. We do have the authority, and now it's just a matter of working through the logistics and getting it into people's hands. The other piece I wanted to mention is that the VA has an entire telehealth office and telehealth program, and that program can loan equipment. What I was just talking about is actually purchasing and giving to uh, veterans, but that program can also loan uh, iPads, other forms of tablets, things that work better for uh, video and working with providers. So um, that piece is underway as well. It's just a matter of working through the logistics, getting it into veterans' hands. Mm. So if you need the help, take the two extra steps and go and try to find it by following up with the VA and certainly working with you know your case management there to find inroads to get these things. Make your needs known. That's right. Let's end with what's something I could do? Where do I direct my people to go? If this is a relative I know in my family that's experienced unemployment for quite a while and is a veteran, or if this is just someone I see on the street and I'm concerned about them and I see the veteran hat or, you know, like so many times we see, you know, on the sides of the road, those that we wish we could help. What number would I give them and where would I direct them to go? I think our call center, the National Call Center for Homeless Veterans is is the absolute best single way uh, to do that. And I'll share that number with you again. It's 877-48-VET. So 877-424-3838. That will connect caller to the full range of services that the VA can provide. Uh, we also do have a website that outlines our programs and services. It's va.gov slash homeless. And maybe write that number down. Keep it handy in your car. And as you're driving around, if you see someone that appears to be struggling, uh, reach out, hand that to them and see, see if they can help. Can't thank you enough. Dr. Keith Harris, uh, the work you're doing at the VA is very important. Uh, I know we hear about all these programs and these policies and, and, and huge numbers. Um, let's end with, do you think it's enough to make a difference? I, I think we're very appreciative to Congress for the, for the funding, and I think we can do a lot with the, mon- the funding we've received, yes. Again, the number to call if you or a veteran you know is experiencing financial crisis is 877-4AID-VET or va.gov slash homeless. Now up next, we'll meet a few veterans that are having a huge impact on communities across the country. And we'll hear about a unique honor that involves a bottle of Evan Williams bourbon. Welcome to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran, Phil Briggs. Now in the next few segments, I want to talk about two great things bourbon, which is really great to talk about anytime, and the veterans who are making a difference in America today. And joining me now is Emily Gay Hafer, representative from Heaven Hill Brands, makers of Evan Williams Bourbon. Emily, how are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Really good. And uh, it goes without say that Evan Williams makes a fine American-made bourbon. It's an American-owned brand. And uh, this year is recognizing a select class of veterans for their exceptional stories of honor and bravery. And we're getting ready to meet some of them. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick, tell me about Evan Williams' American Hero Foundation Fund. And tell me a little bit about some of the vets you chose to honor. Absolutely. So like you said, we are an American-made, American-owned brand. So it's really important to us to recognize veterans who are protecting the American spirit. And we have been doing this program for about six years now. And this year, we have extended that program by establishing the American Made Heroes Foundation Fund, which will extend the recognition that we have been doing each year by helping fund independent nonprofit organizations that support veterans and their families. This year, we have our five veterans, two of which you guys are going to talk to today. And um, we we really look at what these veterans did in their time in the military, their service, and also what they're doing now to continue that service in their communities. You're not just raising a glass or you're not just putting their face on the label of a bottle of bourbon to say you did something. You guys are kind of rolling up your sleeves too. What do each one of these recipients receive from this American Heroes Foundation Fund? Each one of our recipients will receive a $5,000 donation to the charity of their choice. So um, many of them have established a nonprofit, so a lot of them are making that donation to the nonprofit organization that they've established, but they can choose any qualified nonprofit that they um, feel deserves the recognition and the um, donation. So they can choose that. Um, And then we had over 6,500 nominations. So it's a pretty big honor for them to have been chosen. And then, like you said, we do feature their story on the side of bottles that are distributed nationwide. And there were about 360,000 of those bottles produced this year. I mean, that alone for me would just be a cool honor to have my face on the side of a bottle of bourbon. That would be awesome. But I appreciate everything you guys are doing. And uh, last question, what's the best way to have some Evan Williams bourbon? Well, I think that's kind of personal preference. You can have it neat or on the rocks. Ginger ale, is that okay? A little ginger and bourbon? Yeah, if you want to mix it with something, that's also an awesome way to try it. Very cool. (laughs) Emily, appreciate your time. Looking forward to getting to meet these veterans. Yeah, thank you for your time. Now, the first vet we talked to that's being honored by Evan Williams Bourbon is retired Air Force Master Sergeant Eddie Ramirez from the San Francisco area. He joined the Air Force in the early 1980s and became the kind of leader that makes every young enlisted airman better. And along the way, he had a chance to witness some incredible things. You know, it was a great career. You know, I I, I lived in Japan, Germany, Spain, Italy, ran with the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain, Uh, saw the Pope in Rome, was there when the wall fell in Berlin. So I had a a good stretch. Uh, My last assignment was Edwards Air Force Base, Mojave Desert, living in a single wide trailer with the swamp cooler. And I said, you know, (laughs) it's time to go. (laughs) And, you know, it sounds like you've really risen through the ranks. You went from a wrench turning, grease covered, enlisted young buck all the way up to the instructors that teach the young ones coming up, uh, you know, some decades later. And that is... (laughs) You know, that's the trajectory that most expect to hear about when you're in the military. And as a former enlisted myself, I really appreciate seeing, uh, you know, master sergeant or like a senior enlisted guy because, uh, you know, you weren't full of crap. 
You were you were once just like me, you know, a twenty something year old guy that was basically just you know looking for some beers and a good time. But uh, you managed to uh, you know make one hell of a great career out of it and uh, become quite a gentleman. Yeah, you know the Air Force. I mean, the military offers a lot of benefits to a lot of people, you know. And if you don't take advantage of it, you know, you waste your time. And a lot of people don't know how to take advantage of it. I mean, I. I got my master's degree while I was active duty, you know, three associate's degrees and a bachelor's degree. You know, I got to travel all over the world and, and, you know, bought my first house when I was 27. So, you know, I really took advantage of the opportunities that the military had to offer. I went over to the VA medical center where I was the admin officer for mental health. There I got kind of re-engaged with veterans, and uh, I was appointed the Minority Veteran Program Coordinator, where I would go out and do outreach for the VA, enroll minority veterans, and so on and so forth. Um, And I saw the need that our community had as far as organizations working in silos. One doesn't know what the other's doing, and, you know, you got duplicated effort. So what I ended up doing was I started doing the San Francisco Veterans Town Hall Collaborative, where I would bring federal, state, local, community people all together under one roof and kind of share what's happening in the VA. And then I would allow everybody in the room to give a little three to five minute speech about what they do, who they are, and how they support veterans. And what that started doing, it started building a collaborative uh, of organizations. So... um, I ended up uh, also finding uh, the need to start one to bring these resources together. So I started One Vet, One Voice, the nonprofit that's uh, 501c3. And um, one day at the San Francisco VA, um, as the Minority Veteran Program Coordinator during Hispanic Heritage Month, somebody had suggested that I show a video of the Langoria Affair. Uh, It's a film about uh, um, uh, South Texas and and how um, the GI Forum was created and helped launch President Kennedy into the White House. Hmm. So I showed that, and uh, next thing you know, I'm doing a film festival. (laughs) So, So my first film festival had film, food, music, and art, and now I'm in the ninth year of the film festival, San Francisco Veterans Film Festival. So, I mean, I've been doing a lot of different things uh, that kind of started out of the VA because of the need that I, I saw. And, um, you know, I've just been plugging away, trying to trying to support my, my fellow veterans in their transition. And um, it, it's a healing process for me. Um, so I, I do it, you know, from the from the bottom of my heart and, you know, Anytime I could support a veteran and, you know, I get a phone call a couple of years later, hey, man, I got the job, you know, because of my reference or whatever, you know, I, it's a good feeling. And that's what we get from a senior enlisted. That's what we get from a salty old master sergeant. And that's what I appreciated about your story, because, uh, you know, I had a senior chief and a chief that were very instrumental in my life, helping me come up. And um, I wanted to ask specifically about some of the some of the challenges you saw when you were dealing with veterans and mental health. Um, I noticed you said you were the admin officer there. Do you recall a specific example or a st- or a case there where you, there was somebody that really needed you, needed that kind of father figure, needed that guiding hand, and you were able to provide it? 
to this day, I still have veterans coming to me asking to, you know, support them for whatever reason, you know. So I'm still in touch after so many years with a lot of the veterans, you know. Um, um, I, I founded the Cesar E. Chavez Post of the American Legion. So what that does, it allows for me to have space in the Veterans Building in San Francisco. So I work hand-in-hand with the Veterans Success Center to help veterans find work. Uh, and um, it, it is something that is rewarding to me uh, because I'm still engaged uh, with the veterans. So I, I still have a lot of veterans that, that you know, I'm in touch with. Uh, one of the other programs that I started up was the uh, work study program. So it, as long as a veteran is using one of the GI bills, um, they're allowed to come work for One Vet, One Voice, and the VA pays them. So it's uh, it's a way for them to get work experience and for them to do outreach for One Vet, One Voice and recruit more veterans into the program. So uh, it, it's always evolving, and, um, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a good way to give back. You know, so I try to encourage these young airmen or the young veterans, you know, to get involved because, um, you know, us old guys, you know, we're going to disappear someday. And if we don't have that legacy, you know, our veteran organizations are going to disappear. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. You've given me a hell of a lot of motivation, Master Sergeant. And I know it's like guys like you out there that are making a difference in the veteran community from the city that brought us uh, the summer of love. It sounds like the love is just <laughs> is just is just continuing. City by the Bay, baby. And to learn more about veteran health care, education, housing, and job opportunities, you can check out OneVetOneVoice.org. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And this hour, we're talking with military vets who are being honored by Evan Williams Bourbon as American-made heroes. Now, our next vet is an amazing woman. Retired Army Captain Mary Tobin grew up watching her mother do everything in her power to help those in need, even when her own family didn't have much. She left Atlanta at only 17 to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And it was in her third year of training that 9-11 drastically altered the trajectory of her career. Right after graduation, she deployed to Iraq for six months, receiving a combat action badge. And as we're about to hear, her career shattered some glass ceilings as she became the only woman and black officer in her unit. So being in a field artillery unit, at the time, that unit had not had women officers or women enlisted soldiers serve in that unit, especially not in a time of war. Uh, So I actually had to get a waiver in order to deploy uh, with my unit at the time. And so what was very interesting was watching the men who had never served with a woman before try to figure out, okay, where's the lieutenant going to use the bathroom? Where is the lieutenant living? Uh, Is she staying in our tent? And um, I actually got more enjoyment watching my my fellow male soldiers squirm um, (laughs) over trying to figure out how I was going to perform basic hygiene functions. than you know than anything else and so you know eventually they got to it um you know because i think you know we about a month into our time in iraq and this is my first deployment everyone kind of figured out all that matters is how well you can do your job and how well you take care of each other and how well you have each other's back and so you know it took about one one day in which my soldiers came to the range with me and saw me shoot and get expert 
on my weapon. Um, they came to the physical training field and saw me uh, do well on my PT test, and they saw me um, know my know my work and know my job and make the right decision. And so it quickly went from, oh, our LT has ovaries to our LT is a badass. And so um, I really, really appreciated being challenged in that way. Um, but, you know, my differences were apparent. I thank you for doing that because that's huge. There's a lot of young ladies out there looking up to you saying, wow, I can do that too. And, um, yeah, that's just, that's good stuff. Uh, also good stuff and should be noted when you get into talking with veterans, you can probably, uh, throw some weight around because, uh, you do in fact have a combat action badge. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I mean, you know, what's interesting is no one, you know, who's ever, you know, put on a uniform, brags about, you know, achieving, you know, badges or awards where you were in direct danger or harm or someone else was in direct danger or harm. Um, you know, that those incidents, you know, take for the one that I, you know, I received the combat action badge for. Um, it's pretty traumatizing, you know. It's, and it's also wrapped in gratitude, right, that I was one of the lucky ones who, who made it back and I, and I have all my limbs and you know, I have most of my mind. <laughs> you ask my family and friends, they'll tell you I'm crazy most days. Um, you know, but, you know, very proud of the fact that the military, um, during the time that I received the badge, rec- recognized that there were so many other types of units outside of the infantry who were in direct combat, who were um, out there fighting against the enemy um, on different fronts that unlike that we have ever seen in the military before. And so being able to recognize like those units that were out there supplementing the infantry and the field artillery units that were on patrol and, and making sure that they were keeping the people of Iraq safe as well as our soldiers safe. It was, I think it was fantastic that the military evolved, right. To make sure that we were honoring and valuing all of the work that was happening. And, and I just happened to be one of the people, um, who was honored in that way. And I'm grateful for that. But I'm more grateful um, that I have a life um, that I that I still live, and then I get to use my life in the way that I'm um, using the work that I do for veterans to honor those who who made the ultimate sacrifice. Now, hearing how Mary is honoring this life and her fellow veterans is truly an incredible story. I was medically retired from the army after ten years, and I was not happy about it. Um, you know, I just sustained injuries over my time in the army that, you know, that meant that it was better for me to transition to a life of being a civilian and to focus on healing in that way, that I would never get better if I kept hard charging uh, in the military. And so doctors made a very hard decision and decided that I should be medically retired. I fought it tooth and nail, you know, but I think what was most uh, stark for me was after the military, I could not find purpose in a regular nine to five. And what does that mean? Um, That means that if I could not reach out and touch uh, the people that I was directly helping, if my work didn't directly impact someone's life or community becoming better, I just could not connect to it the way I could in the military. And so I found myself searching for purpose and reason. um, And I found it in volunteering. And my first volunteer uh, role was um, for an organization that I work for now called The Mission Continues. And I remember it was roughly about five years ago, I went to volunteer in Brooklyn. Uh, there was a young lady, a 12-year-old um, young lady who had been raped in a park 
just a few weeks before. And the mission continues was working in that very same part to clean it up. It was known for where drug addicts frequented. It was known for a lot of violence. And that young lady had been taken there and raped. And so instead of um, wallowing in the grief and the tragedy of it all, the mission continues descended upon that park and completely transformed it. And about 50 veterans spent six hours just working. We barely drank water. We barely ate. We just dug in. And for the first time, I felt that sense of connectedness that I'd been missing in the Army. And I said to myself, you know what? One day, I'm going to work for that organization. And I continue to uh, do work in nonprofits as an executive director. And I always chose to work with the Mission Continues when I had to do community impact work. And I just saw, like, the impact on veterans, feeling useful again, bringing their skills to bear, leading work in communities, as well as helping people and believing in the strength of, of the people in that community that we served. And so now I get to leave the East Region of the mission continues. So that's 26 cities, including Brooklyn and that park that I first worked in. And we work uh, to not only support the efforts that need to happen in under-resourced communities, but we're working to give veterans a sense of purpose and commitment to serving our country again. And it is literally the nexus of who I am. Um, I'm so proud to be a veteran in my service to this country but I'm also driven by the need to see this world better. So I get to do that in one shot, and I get paid to do it. I really can't think of a better situation. That is awesome, and that certainly makes you so deserving of the Evan Williams American Made Hero Honor. Uh, oh, and, thank you. And, and just such a beautiful story. To go from volunteering to being the executive director for a whole region of the country, uh, the mission continues. Uh, lucky to have you. Um, yeah, thank you. If I can ask, kind of a sidebar here, but... What's your thoughts for the future? What's your thoughts for our country going forward in light of all that's been going on lately? Right. I think that our country is exactly where it needs to be. And what do I mean by that? You know, I think that we, the fact that we are confronting, we are finally confronting our beautifully painful history uh, with racism, is particularly around the treatment of black Americans, that we're finally confronting it and realizing that no, we haven't done enough and that there is more work to do gives me so much hope. The conversations that are happening, not only just at the individual level, but at the corporate level, when you see global organizations taking a stand and revamping how they do diversity, equity, inclusion in every facet of how they do their business, from their supply chains to their hiring practices to scholarships that they give out, I mean, I could not have imagined a, mo a collective moment like this. And so I am encouraged by this. But I think that for individuals, the it cannot stop at just having the conversation, right? It is not enough to just not be racist, right? We have to actively work against racism. So that's the next step. And what that looks like at every level is different. It could be policies and procedures. It could even be in the name change of a team. But it is actively confronting our racist history and working very hard to eliminate it at every single level. That is the next stage. And that is why retired Army Captain Mary Tobin is an Evan Williams Bourbon American-made hero. You can see more about the incredible work she continues to do at missioncontinues.org.
Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm former Navy journalist Phil Briggs. Now in our next segment, we're going to talk about an organization that helps the ones we often think don't need any help at all. I'm talking about the Special Operations Community. Now their commitments often come with the highest price. And when they're about to break, it's the Special Operations Warrior Foundation that's there to help hold them together. I recently spoke with retired Major General Clay Huttmacher, who himself went from enlisted to officer in the special operations community, about how this foundation makes a critical difference in the lives of the men and women who have served on the front lines of the fight. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Phil. Thanks for having me this morning. Indeed. Thank you for taking the time to share this story, because there's a foundation for a lot of things in the military, and yours is Yours is so special because of the work that our special operations community does. And it gets all the glamour in Hollywood. You know, the movie stars always portray these guys. And it just seems to be like, you know, the tip of the spear is where you want to be. But, um, you know, there's a side of it that a lot of folks don't think about when the film stops rolling and the movie is over. So if you could first tell me a little bit about the Special Operations Warrior Foundation and where it started because i find it's rooted all the way back in 1980 with a fascinating story yes, yes it was it was uh you know and there was an operation to rescue 52 american hostages held in tehran uh, and the code name for that operation was eagle claw at the first desert refueling point known as desert one um the um there was a crash and we lost eight americans and uh, they left behind 17 children. The survivors of that mission of that task force made a commitment to take care of those 17 kids uh, and make sure they were educated and or their college was funded. And that was the beginning of our foundation. And so we started with 17 kids, and now we have over 900 children in our foundation, that have, uh, their education starting in preschool and going on through college graduation is funded by the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. And today we also provide immediate financial assistance to severely wounded, injured, or ill special operators. There's a lot of heavy lifting done in this community. And again, we tend to glamorize it, but you know, Spec Ops is only 2% of the military, yet it makes up a, a huge percentage of combat injuries. Yes, sir. Uh, over 75 in recent years, uh, going back five, six years, over 75% of the combat casualties experienced by the U.S. military uh, were special operators. And I would imagine in an era like we're living in now where we are uh, not seeing as constant engagement, you know, in so many eras like we did in the surge back in 08, that's really true now, right? Because really the times we are interfacing with bad guys a lot of times are only special operations plans, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a, you know, using special operations, you get a level of um, precision uh, with that and, uh, and just going after the bad guy um, that, you know, we're looking at is the uh, is why they use them. And so we are a very attractive option for senior military and political leaders uh, to use special operations. 
and get all the more reason why we need to take care of our own, whether it's helping them with financial assistance when they get injured or whether, you know, for the Gold Star kids, ensuring that they are able to go to college and, you know, able to live the best life. Uh, share with me some highlights of something really cool that's gone on recently within Special Operations Warrior Foundation family. Okay. Well, we have, um, I told you we have over 900 kids. Um, we expanded our programs recently to also include the children of Medal of, Honor, Medal of Honor recipients in the soft community. Now, you know, obviously if they're killed in action, we, we cover their kids with our existing programs. But uh, the board uh, made a decision to also include the children of our living uh, Medal of Honor recipients affiliated with special operations. So we included those kids and we made an exception for uh, Staff Sergeant Retired Ron Schur from 3rd Special Forces Group. He had gotten Medal of Honor, earned it over in Afghanistan. He had gotten out, was working for the Secret Service, and then tragically died of lung cancer. And he left behind a wife, Miranda, and two sons, Cameron and Tyler. And we uh, included them in our program as well. And I just went up in D.C. and met them about uh, three weeks ago and shared with them personally our programs and also was able to speak with Ron's uh, Secret Service teammates up in D.C. and uh, assure them that, that, that Cameron and Tyra would be taken care of. And that right there just goes to show kind of the caliber of the folks we deal with here. Not only do they serve, but they get out. and. It- and he still wanted to serve in the Secret Service. And that takes a special kind of gumption because you have to serve regardless of your political uh, feelings. Yep, you support and defend the Constitution, not an individual. Well, General, I appreciate everything you do. How can I help? How can we help? Are there events coming up that we can get involved with? I know this COVID era has everything sort of just weird. Uh, a lot of usual events are being canceled or moved and they're done sort of, uh, you know, through the Internet. Uh are there ways I can donate just on the website, or are there special events I can attend? Yeah, normally I would I could list off uh, numerous uh, events that are fundraising events uh, that we would hold. And, and as you might expect, you know those have been canceled as they come up for uh, for very good reason because of the COVID concerns. So primarily now, I would say the best way to help is to visit our website. Um, Take a look at uh, our foundation at specialops.org and, uh, and, and see how you can help. You know, we have a very unique approach to how we educate the children of our fallen and our um, Special Operations Medal of Honor recipients. We start in preschool and we fund preschool. We fund unlimited tutoring, college visits, uh, obviously their college uh Tuition and expenses are, are covered, and and also we help them uh, to make that transition to a career. And so, you know, it's a unique approach to it. It's not just a college scholarship program, and I, I don't think many people understand that. So the more um, people can read on our website what we do and our approach to education and the success we're having uh, with our kids by either liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter or visiting our website would be much appreciated. Right on, General. Well, we are honored and glad to help. Uh, we'll always talk about this. And uh, we also look forward to following up with a couple of your famous friends. I see that you know Gary Sinise and Pittsburgh Steeler Alejandro Villanueva. 
both of which I yeah, want to talk to. Former Ranger. The Alejandro Al Villanueva was a platoon leader and first Ranger battalion, 175 out of Savannah, Georgia. Great American, a great patriot. Well, we look forward to getting to meet them. Look forward to hearing more about the great work you do and just 40 years of service. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for these past four decades, and it does not go unnoticed. Again, the website is specialops.org. And retired Major General Clay Huttmacher, it's been a pleasure. Hey, uh, the pleasure's been mine. Thank you very much, Phil. Now, to read more about any of our guests or the charities featured on today's show, go to connectingvets.com. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll be back next week, ready to introduce you to great military veterans doing great things. Eye on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.